Young people, it's good to have you here today. We're glad you've had your great weekend. Thank God for Trey and that ministry. Welcome to those who are worshiping online with us today. There are several hundred who join in to our live broadcast week by week, and we are grateful for you, and we hope you receive a blessing today by worshiping with us. We also have Eleanor Hofheinz back with us. Hello, Eleanor. She's been out for weeks. She's sitting with Virginia Brott, who before she moved away was every week person with us, and we're grateful to see them. And do you know, we've got three new babies in our church family. Yeah. The Crosbys, Andrew and Allie, are at the hospital right now with baby Evie Grace, who was born last night. Yeah. And the Ramseys, Aaron and Catherine, Catherine Ash Ramsey, they have uh, their new baby, Mia, at home already. And also the Walkers have a new baby as well. So... Uh, we're grateful for these new babies that have come into the world, and they're doing well. And then we had a uh, memorial service this week. Did any of you know Jimmy Jelly? Now, let me see your hands. Jimmy Jelly? Okay, a number of you knew Jimmy Jelly. He was part of our church for many years in our special class. And uh, he died at almost 69 years of age. We had the funeral here yesterday with the family. And they celebrated his life in a most beautiful way. He was so full of joy, they said. He just enjoyed everything. And he laughed out loud and he sang with all his heart. And he was the delight of his family. In fact, his older brother Bob confessed yesterday that he was jealous of Jimmy. Jimmy would walk in the room and light it up. And Bob said, I never could do that. Even when he was in the nursing home, Bob said, that was how they experienced him. You'd go in there and everybody knew Jimmy and loved him. There's something about that life of just the celebration of the daily grace and benefits of God that is so essential it's got to happen in us. If we cannot celebrate the benefits he gives us every day, forget not all his benefits, then something's wrong inside. We've lost our sense of gratitude and the wonder of life and the awe that we ought to have in, in the presence of a God who loves us like this and made the world in which we live and provides for us and gives us his tender mercies fresh every morning. Today, we're going to revisit a passage you have been in before. It is John chapter 4 as we do awkward family photos. So, turn if you have your Bibles to John chapter 4. We're going to read a little bit. From the woman at the well, I'm going to read this story to you. If you want to just listen to the story, that is uh, just as good. I'm going to start in verse 4. So listen up as we read this story that has a couple of awkward moments in it that we're going to point out in a little bit. You listen up and see what you see in the story. Now Jesus had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar. 
near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst Instead, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, well enough to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is Spirit, and His worshipers must worship in the Spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When He comes, He will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he.
We visit these awkward family photos to learn how to behave in the world. We want to follow Jesus and be his faithful disciples. So watching Jesus, observing him as he interacts with people is very important and it's normative for us. These are our norms as followers of Jesus. People who confess that Jesus is Lord. We say Jesus is Lord. We sang Jesus is Lord. We confessed it this morning. And to say Jesus is Lord means that his kingdom rules in our hearts and he rules over all. And we don't go to another kingdom to find our norms and values. We find them in Jesus who is Lord. He is the pearl of great price. He is the one and only. So here we are anchored. This is our foundation. And as we look at this passage, I want us to remember Jesus is Lord because sometimes his priorities and his norms and his values conflict with our own. But we follow Jesus wherever he leads, even if it be to a cross similar to that which he died upon. And so whatever it is that he teaches and shows us to do, that's what we do. Jesus comes to the well. Do you know there are several places where men, we meet women at wells in the Bible? Think about it. Remember Eliezer? Abraham sends him to go find a wife for his son Isaac. He meets Rebekah at the well and immediately knows this is the one. Goes to dad and says, hey, I want her for Isaac. Do you know Moses met Zipporah at a well? He defended her from shepherds who were harassing her and she told her dad about it and the dad said, well, you guys go ahead and get married. So his beloved Zipporah, he met her at the well. Do you know Jacob showed up in this strange land he'd never been in? And here is this shepherdess, Rachel. And he loves her immediately. Before they leave the well, he kisses her. It's in the Bible. Yes, it is. And so now we have Jesus at Jacob's well meeting a woman. It's a woman again, and he will address her as woman, just as he did his mother at the wedding in Cana. He will address as woman the woman caught in adultery in chapter 8. There's a prominence of women in the Gospel of John. And Jesus initiates a conversation with this woman. No Jew would think that was appropriate. We can't get in that skin, okay? We don't understand that culture. But they just wouldn't. Jesus 
meets her as a stranger, cares for her, and initiates a conversation with her. So here's the first thing I see Jesus doing, and I see him doing it all the time. Love the stranger. Are you following Jesus? Love the stranger. That is, the person in your neighborhood who's different. The person at school who dresses differently or talks differently. Love the stranger. Not that it's going to be easy. Not that everybody in your class is going to do it. That stranger may be ostracized by your friends and the folks in your class. But if you're going to follow Jesus, you'll need to love the stranger. Now, there are reasons why we treat people to be suspicious of strangers. But right now, we are looking at the norms of Jesus, and I would say that even caution about strangers does not discount this norm, which is the love of the stranger. Jesus loves this woman. It is evident. It's why he breaks protocol. It's why he initiates a conversation. He cares about her. Now, Jesus treats women with full dignity. When the disciples come back, the biggest surprise is not that he talked to a Samaritan, but that he talked to a woman. A woman. I mean, he's talking to a woman. What are you doing? Have you lost your mind? Once again, it's hard for us to get in that spot. But Jesus initiates a conversation with this woman. Give women full dignity in all aspects of your life. Do not put them down. Do not be prejudiced against them. Do not stick them into general categories that make them less than. Do not treat them as if they are less than in any venue of your life. If you're to follow Jesus, then we must give women full dignity. Now, are you all back there? Are you all disagreeing with this? What's happening to me? Am I okay? All right. No, they're, they're, they're with me back there in that booth. The reason I'm emphasizing this is because all over the world, women are put down. You know this, right? And it is a generational problem in many cultures. And it seems to be the right thing to do in so many places. And winning people, people to Christ around the world will be enhanced. People around the world will take notice. If the disciples of Jesus will do what Jesus did. And strike up the conversation. Initiate the talk. Give full dignity to the women around them. Treat women with full dignity as you follow Jesus. 
treat foreigners with full dignity. This is Samaria. The Samaritans sided with Syria in their war against Jerusalem and the Jews. The Samaritans obstructed the rebuilding of Jerusalem. The high priest came and burned down the temple on Mount Gerizim a hundred years before this event. There is bad blood here. This is not a passive relationship between Jews and Samaritans. This is a hostile relationship. And when Jesus decides that he wants to go through Samaria, it starts out he needed, there's a necessity to go through Samaria. I'm sure the disciples are saying, well, wait a minute, we don't have to go through Samaria. I mean, we can just go right up here the east side of the Jordan River along the foothills of the Golan Heights and we'll get to where we need to go. There's a way to get there. No, he had to go through Samaria. What is his necessity? It is meeting the Samaritan woman. That's what the need was. We tend to treat foreigners as if they are less. But we're seeking as disciples to correct our norms and attitudes so they conform to the norms and attitude of Jesus. Jesus cared enough for Samaritans that his enemies picked up on it. And at one point, they accused him of being a Samaritan. All Samaritans were to them unclean, enemies, heretics. And they said, you're a Samaritan. You're full of the devil." That's how they characterize Samaritans as Jews. It's why it was such an astonishment when Jesus made a Samaritan the hero of his exegesis of the second commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. How can I do it? Do it like this Samaritan did it. What? Treat foreigners. With full dignity. You are not on the earth to reinforce the prejudices of your culture or your family. You are on the earth to follow Jesus. He is Lord. This may not be how your dad would have done it or your neighbor would do it, but you are a follower of Jesus. You call him Lord, and you're watching him now as he has a conversation with a foreigner. And he cares for her, and he initiates the conversation. If Jesus had not spoken, this woman would have come into the well, drawn her water, and left without a word. But we're following Jesus. So Jesus, help us to learn. How to care for the stranger. Help us to treat women with full dignity. Help us make sure that people are more important than our little rules, than our protocols. That persons are there above those cultural norms. That we care more about people than we do about our rules. 
Jesus is breaking the rules as he reaches out to this Samaritan woman. Now look, if you have a problem with this, your problem's not with this preacher. It's with Jesus. Okay? You don't get to make Jesus into your image. You can't do that. You got enough information in the book where you know how Jesus behaves, what he says, and how he treats people. That's your truth. That's your way. That's your life as a follower of Jesus. We don't get to decide these. We watch Jesus as he cares for this woman, and we say, Lord, for the woman at the well in my life, for the Samaritan, for the one who is culturally ostracized, for that woman nobody speaks to, Lord, let me be your agent of care and concern. Let me be like you in my world. Treat all sinners with full dignity. Maybe it's not the cultural differences that create most distance between you and other people. Maybe it's not gender. Maybe it's the moral standards that you feel like people violate. And when they violate those standards, you just want to get away from them. And you can't help but treat people that you feel like are beneath you morally. You can't help but treat them with judgment. Now I'm showing you Jesus. Jesus knows who this woman is. He knows her history. He knows her past. He knows her current relationship with this man. He knows. And he initiates the conversation and cares for her anyway. This is Jesus now. And before you get judgmental on somebody you'd identify as a sinner, you just remember, you're one too. John says in his little letter, if we say we have no sin, present tense. If we say we have no sin, present tense. We deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So we're all, we're all in the common condition of being people who sin. And the scandal of Jesus' life was he ate with sinners. Jesus came to seek and save sinners. That's why he's talking to this woman. He loves them. So we must learn to treat sinners with full dignity like Jesus did. 
You say, well, I don't know. That doesn't seem to me to be consistent with the rest of the Word of God. Well, I was reading Psalm 103 yesterday at the funeral. Just because I love it. And you know what Psalm 103 says? Forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquities. Who removes your sin as far as the east is from the west. And remembers it no more against you. Now think about what that verse is saying. God in heaven. Jesus is faithfully portraying the Father God to us. This is the creator God who made you and everything there is. He does not deal with us according to our transgressions. That's what the psalm says. He is full of compassion and tender mercy. He loves to forgive. This is a picture of God. So in the world in which I live, among the people whom I know, I cannot look down my nose on anybody who I see or think to be less moral than I. Instead, I must treat everyone with the full dignity that Jesus treats this woman. Well, don't we need to judge sin so that people will quit it? Yeah. Jesus is going to call that up in a minute. But it's Jesus that does it. For us, we are to forgive one another as God has forgiven us. You know, parents, wouldn't it be something if we could relate to our children not on the basis of their transgressions? He does not deal with us according to our transgressions. You can see it in Psalm 103. Wouldn't that be something if as husband and wife we could relate to one another not on the basis of our transgressions. How would you do that? Well, you'd have to learn how to forgive really, deeply, fully forgive so that the transgression is no longer part of the mix of the relationship. Wouldn't it be something if we could follow God in this and follow Jesus in this, giving full dignity to sinners, people whom we know have failed, not elevating ourselves above them, but instead in humility realizing we fail too. And who's to say whether our failures of greed, pride, arrogance, selfishness, may be greater than those scandalous sins that we attribute to others. There's water here. Water again. Woman again, water again, worship again. In the book of John, we've already come across water. Jesus baptizing, John baptizing. 
The water changed to wine. Nicodemus got to be born of water and of the Spirit. And now we have water again, meeting at the well. It'll be mentioned many times going forward from this. Because Jesus is the living water, right? And so the woman says to Jesus, how are you ever going to get this water? Jesus wants her to discover two things. First of all, he wants her to ask him for the water that he can give. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that speaks to you, you would ask him and he would give you living water. So he wants her to ask for the living water. And the second thing is he wants her to know who he really is. Those are the two things. Those are the two challenges to the woman in this first little discussion that they have. And so Jesus is drawing her toward an understanding of the water. And she keeps slipping back into the physical. Jesus says, if you knew, you'd ask me for living water. And she says, you haven't got anything to draw with. When, I, when she says that, I think about the bucket she's got. And we know she has a bucket there because she leaves it later on and runs back to town. She leaves the vessel right there by the well. She's got one. But, of course, if this Jewish man drinks from her bucket, he's going to be ritually unclean. All right? He can't go to the temple. He can't worship at the temple because he's going to be ritually unclean if he uses that bucket. I guarantee it. You, you've got nothing to draw with. I mean, where are you going to find this living water? And the woman is responding to Jesus, and, and really it's kind of a playful discussion. Would you give me a drink? What are you doing asking me for a drink? That's a little bit like, you're so thirsty, you're so desperate, you're going to ask me for a drink? And then he changes completely and says, oh, it's not about the water here. I can give you living water. She says, how are you going to get that? You haven't got anything to draw with, and the well is deep. When she says the well is deep, she means deep. You know how deep that well is? There is plausible evidence that we know this well. Ever since the 4th century, it's been identified at the foot of Mount Gerizim. It's 100 feet deep. Have you ever looked down in a 100-foot deep hole I saw a well in the Holy Land that was 100 feet deep. And it is amazing how deep it is. And the water table must be way down in there. And she says, how in the world are you going to get this water? And Jesus says, anybody who drinks this water from this well will thirst again. But anybody who drinks the water I give them will never thirst but the water I give them will be in them a, an artesian well springing up into everlasting life. There's an artesian well for you. And she says, give me this water. Okay, first thing. If you knew, you'd ask. Now you have. Give me this water. And she does. And Jesus 
then ask the second awkward question. The first being, will you give me a drink? The second being, go get your husband and come back. Nobody with this marital history wants a stranger to know about their past or even their present for that matter. So she gives the response, I have no husband, which is a way not of disengaging, but a way of hiding. She's hiding out a little bit. She doesn't want to stop the conversation, but she doesn't want to exactly go there. And so she turns the conversation to, where shall we worship, on Gerizim or in Jerusalem? You know, you Jews say one thing, the Samaritans say another. And Jesus says, no, we're not talking about that. And Jesus turns the conversation to what real worship is. Real worship is not about the place. It's not about the pews. It's not about a pulpit. It's not about how we dress. Real worship is not about so many outward things that we associate with going to church. Worship is about what happens to you inside. God is looking for people Not who just show up, but who worship him in spirit and in truth. This living water is spirit and truth. The water he wants to give her is the water of eternal life. And now the question is, having been confronted with Jesus... And realizing that he knows all about you. Are you going to run from the light or come to the light? Which direction are you going? Jesus said previously, those who do evil deeds, they don't want to come to the light. Because their deeds will be made apparent. They don't want that light shining on their actions. But this woman responds to the call of Jesus by turning toward the light. Jesus asked her the question about her husband because he wants to communicate to her that he knows everything about her. And he takes the moment when she says, I have no husband. He takes that moment to help her understand the supernatural truth he knows about her. The tendency is when you fall into sin to think you are not worthy and to run from the light. It's what we do. It's a natural thing to do. You've probably experienced it before in your own life. You've been out during the week and done things that made you ashamed and you thought about Sunday and where you're going to go to church and you thought, oh no. Maybe if pick up the Bible and you start to open it and you think, oh man, I shouldn't really be doing this. Maybe even prayer starts to be hard for you because you think about what you've done and the person you are. And you start hiding from the light. You don't want the light shining on your life. Here's what I want you to know. Here's the takeaway. Jesus knows all about you. 
He doesn't need anybody to testify and come and say, hey, this, let me tell you about Mary. Let me tell you about John. He knows all about him. Just like he did Nicodemus, just like he does this woman. And he loves you. He knows all about you, and he loves you. He knows everything that you try to hide from others and even him, and he loves you anyway. And he loves to forgive. He loves to show mercy. He loves to bring you into his arms, even though you have fought him. And so when you realize who he is and what he wants to do, giving you this living water, the question is, are you going to run from the light? I pray that you won't. I pray instead that you will say today, as my act of worship, Jesus, here I am. And I want you to know I love you and I need your forgiveness. And confessing your sin, receive the renewing of the spirit that only he can give. Bow with me, please. Lord, we thank you today that you have the living water that every person needs. That you know all about the excuses, our history, the things we bring up that we feel like are barriers between us and you. And you just sweep them away with your hand. You break them down at the cross. You destroy the enmity between us and you. And bringing down that wall, you bring us into the holy place. Yes, we, so prone to sin, so full of failure, you bring us into the holy place not on the basis of who we are or what we've done, on the basis of who you are and what you've done. Thank you, Lord, for making the way to the Father for us. In your name we pray. Amen.